In a new age world filled with delusions and wish fulfillment by morons in need of attention, renowned experiencers of high strangeness and podcasters Jeffrey Ritzman and Jeremy Vaney received invitations to a tropical paradise getaway called Paratopia. Little did they know, it was the same type of new age spiritual retreat they've been avoiding all their lives. Don't be shy. NASA runs a secret space program. It's called India. Come on, you can shake it. Yeah. The moon is made of cheese. Goat cheese. Sushi. Anything goes with Paratopia. <laughs> and welcome. You're listening to 105.3 New Orleans. New Orleans. At least that's what uh, we're told. We, we don't really know. We haven't heard the show there or heard from listeners. So, probably not. <laughs> Please welcome to Paratopia. A man... <laughs> From outside of ufology, a man who is taken to our message boards like no other, a man that proves our worth. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about that part, but a man who works for NASA, and he's here to, uh, well, maybe put an end to the debate on whether or not there is a secret space program. Please welcome Mr., or is it Dr.? I'm going with Mr. Wes Owsley. Hello. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Sure. Um, now, we know that you are who you say you are because you sent us uh, 58 forms of ID. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but for the audience, why don't you uh, just let everyone know what exactly it is you do with NASA, how you came to us. Okay. Okay. Um, I was the in-country systems administrator for uh, NASA MIR 5, 6, and 7. So the NASA, uh, the joint NASA Russian Space Agency project with the MIR space station. Um, I also managed the transition to and uh, trained and worked with the first three crews of the International Space Station program. Fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's more than my resume. I think uh, I was a receptionist when last I knew. Um, so what is it that brought you to Paratopia or to UFOs in general? Well, I've been interested in UFOs for a long time. Um, and when I was in... When I was in Russia, uh, I, you know, as you can imagine, uh, I'm an American. I go to Russia. There's a there's a huge culture shock, uh, and so, you know, it, it takes five or six months to get over the fact that you're dealing with a new alphabet and a new country and a new culture. So, so once the initial shock is worn off, uh, I come to two realizations. One is, I'm in a perfect spot. Uh, I'm I'm a big history buff, so. Uh, you know, if you want history, Russia's the place, or one of the places. So, um, I look, I came to the realization that, hey, you know, I'm here. I should, uh, I should really explore the history of the place. And the second realization was, well, what better position would I be in to really figure out this whole UFO thing? Hmm. And so, uh, 
I started asking questions and, and, and talking to different people. And uh, that's when I realized that, uh, well, that's when I discovered, you know, sort of coast the Coast to Coast program. Mm -hmm. Because uh, I had never heard of it uh, before I went to work for NASA. Um, a lot There's a lot of people who work for NASA who sort of listen to the program religiously, or at least they used to. And so um, I was introduced to Coast to Coast through people who worked in the space program. Wow. Uh, and uh, so, you know, these conversations that you and, and Jeff have after the, the guest has left, these sort of in-depth, you know, g going back and forth on, on these issues, I've had tons of these conversations with, with people in the space program, including astronauts and cosmonauts. And so there's a deep interest in the space program, uh, in the UFO mythos, if you will. And so I just began to uh, explore that. So I started reaching out to um, different, different people and exploring the subject. And then as I started listening to Coast to Coast, I became aware of, of people like Richard Hoagland, people like uh, all, all of the people who are who at Bell had on who were, who were talking about things that, that NASA was doing or, you know, NASA conspiracies. And so I said, well, great. You know, so I started reaching out to people, these people and say, hey, you know, here I am. This is who I am. Just like you guys, you know, send, send a proof of ID, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, here I am, point me in a direction. You know, there's a, if there's this grand NASA conspiracy out there, tell me where to look and I will go. And uh, I was actually pretty disheartened to find that uh, there wasn't a lot of interest in, in working with me. Um, no, nobody, there were tons nobody wants to get to the facts of anything. They just kind of want to have their <laughs> theories and imagine shit. Yep. So, you know, I even went to, uh, uh, I went to the trouble of, I reached out to this, uh, this gentleman named Peter Gersten, who has, uh, who had, I think, a, uh, an organization called Cause, I think, Citizens Against UFO Secrecy. Mm -hmm. um, and like I said on the board, uh, you know, I reached out and I said, this is who I am. This is where I am. I have access to everybody you've talked about. You know, they're right here. Um, tell me where to look. And uh, w what I got was a T-shirt and a coffee mug. <laughs> I mean, that's just incredible to me, you know, it, it 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 really it, that's the whole story of ufology right there in a nutshell, isn't it? It's like, um, well, we wait, we want, we want this, we want to know this, we want to know. You want somebody to validate what you think is going on. You don't actually want to know what's going on because it might be less spectacular than what you think it is. Well, you know, the problem I had was every time I would hear somebody mention, let's say, for example, a certain astronaut would be would be met, mentioned. Well. And I can think of one incident in particular where uh, I can't remember who the guest was on Coast to Coast, but they were basically talking about um, an astronaut who was aboard a space shuttle who had videotaped this UFO object, uh, and there was this grand NASA conspiracy. So, incidentally, this certain astronaut was actually living above me in the apartment complex that we were living in. So, I dutifully went up, knocked on his door, and started asking him questions. And uh, he didn't know anything about it. And uh, I take him at his word. You know, I mean, if the guy says he doesn't know anything about it, he doesn't know what I'm talking about, 
and I know this guy really well, uh, so well that he was actually in my wedding. Um, so, you know, he doesn't know anything about it. He doesn't know anything about it. He doesn't know what he's talking about. So I started finding these inconsistencies about what I'm hearing at Coast to Coast versus what's going on in sort of the real world. Well, what do you make like of uh, someone like Richard Hoagland, who you know claims he did work for NASA in some capacity? Does uh, have you asked around about him? What's the feeling on him? Uh, yeah, the the thing about uh, Hoagland is, see, when you're out of the NASA world, or when once you've been in and you you leave it, um, it you're sort of I don't, I don't know how to say you're, you're you've become the black sheep, you know, so. Um, James Oberg, the guy that's on CNN all the time, he's a quote-unquote former NASA engineer. Well, really, what the hell does that mean? Because just about everybody that works for NASA is an engineer of some kind. So, um, you know, and he's sort of a running joke in DO, or the director of uh, the operations directorate, which is the, the actual missions program of, of NASA. So, uh, the guys who actually run the Mission Control Center. So, uh, Hoagland apparently was a science advisor of some kind uh, to CBS back during the Apollo days, but that's all anybody really knew about him. Well, wait, when you say once they're out there, they're black sheep. What, is, what does that mean? Well, they get jumped when, out of the you, gang that is NASA. What, what happens? Yeah, yeah, it's it's a very NASA's very clannish, very cliquish. And so once you're out, it's it's uh you know you're you're out, huh. and so um, you become. Uh, how do I say it? You know, NASA has a has a pretty big problem with people who who leave uh, leave the organization and then use their time in the organization to gain publicity and to get airtime. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, because they're semi portrayed as quote unquote NASA experts or uh, they become de facto NASA spokesperson, spokespeople, and so NASA doesn't really take too kindly to that. Hmm. What, is, what uh, Wes? What is um, James Oberg's kind of? What, what's the dig at him for for anything? I mean, what have you heard? I mean, the guy is the go-to guy for most major networks. Whenever there's some kind of, uh, well, I remember back at STS-48 when that footage came out and was all over the news. He was the guy who came on and calmed everybody down and said, hey, it's just ice crystals, relax. Um, I mean, it, it, first of all, is he um, accurate in his portrayal of what he sees? And number two, uh, how is he viewed within NASA? Yeah, he seems to be pretty accurate with with respect to um, he's not uh, sort of up to date on what's going on now sort of as we speak. Uh, and nor am I, for that matter. But uh, the uh, within NASA, he's uh, especially within the missions, op- the missions operations directorate, which is where he worked uh, when he was in NASA. Um, he's he's this running joke because you know, NASA is a very compartmentalized organization, so you have you have uh, your area of expertise. And, you know, with the exception of uh, if you're chosen to become someone's backup uh, or you're cross-trained on another another area, 
uh, within your in your speciality, you're you really don't know what you're talking about. You know, you're you're so you know I'm a communications guy, I'm a telemetry guy. Uh, you know, I don't know jack about ballistics, mm. so I wouldn't go on CNN and say, "Oh, well, the ballistics guys are doing this," because I, I wouldn't know. I see. And so James Oberg is sort of you're you're right he's become the catch-all but he's the expert on on everything. And that's that's where the jokes come in. Why is it that NASA um well maybe this isn't the right maybe maybe I'm getting you confused with SETI but you can just tell me. Uh why why do they feel a need to debunk ufology and UFOs at every turn if they're listening to Art Bell and all that stuff? Um well within within the organization there's a um, how do I put this? Um, so you have to separate the organization from the individuals, and so your uh, your individuals who work at headquarters in DC, um, especially in the in the level of let's say you know SES senior executive service uh, people, they're not officially going to mention anything about this they're going to you know deny 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 uh that's the nature of their job and so um your your other guys let's say at johnson space center or marshall or or goddard you know those are the places where the engineers are working where uh, sort of the day-to-day operations happen and you're more likely to find conversations about this kind of stuff there um but Again, you have to separate the individuals from the organization. You know, officially, NASA as an organization isn't going to do anything to besmudge its its reputation, and it's not going to to uh, discuss UFOs. And f- my take on it is because there's a bunch of crazy people in UFO and you know in ufology. Um, for every, you know. I, I know you guys have talked about this before, but you know, for every serious guy like you know, say Ted Phillips out there, who's doing the research, you've got one Stephen Greer. And as far as NASA is concerned, you know, you could have a room full of Ted Phillips, one Stephen Greer in the room, you know, and the conversation's over with. Hmm. That makes sense, but it just seemed like just you know, as a practicality of. You know, wanting your budget renewed and all that. When people were, for instance, clamoring for them to photograph the face on Mars, why not go? Yeah, yeah, you guys are right. Now give us money to go do that. Sure. No, that's a great question, and you know, and I really don't have an answer for that. But you know, a point I made on the uh, Paratopia boards is you know, and, and it's and it's true, and it's you know, and I've been told this by several people is, you know, if UFOs were to show up and, quote-unquote, you know, land on the White House lawn, you know, NASA's budget is just going to explode. So NASA would love it. You know, and if you do, and, you know, another thing going back to the organization is it takes just a little bit of scratching beneath the surface, and you start finding all these research papers that are going on, you know, uh, to prove a point on the boards, what I was talking about, you know, I've run around, uh, run across this guy at, uh, who's apparently now retired. I'm trying to track him down. His name is Alan Holt. 
He was a doctor at Johnson Space Center doing a lot of research. He did tons of stuff on advanced propulsion. Uh, he wrote tons of, of documents related specifically to the UFO phenomenon. And uh, so there is this quiet within the organization research going on, but it's not going to be made public um, like, you know, uh, the director of NASA is not going to stand up in, you know, on CNN and say, oh, yeah, by the way, we're researching this. Hmm. What aspect of it are they researching? Um, well, I can only assume what I have found, which is, you know, propulsion, propulsion systems. Um, I know that there's some stuff going on with, uh, uh, visual spectrum things, uh, but that's that's about all I know. Mm. And one clarification I want to make uh, before we move on further is that I'm actually no longer with the organization. Um, I used to be, but uh, now I'm I'm in private. I'm in the private sector. Okay. So you're little people now. That's right. I'm li- I'm little people now. <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna beat you down for being on the show. <laughs> Oh, that's okay. Uh, so, all right. So now let's move into this. Um, well, I don't know who's started this really, but that there's a um, perhaps a secret space program running parallel to to NASA that uh, billions and trillions of dollars are being funneled into. Dolan speaks about it. The exopolitical people sort of hang their hats on it. Um, but you say that's not feasible. Go ahead. Okay, so yeah, I ran across the the this idea of a secret space program, and I want to clarify. You know, of course, there are military organizations launching satellites that uh, nobody nobody needs to know anything about. Uh, you know, that happens. But uh, my interest became with the idea of you know we've already gone to Mars. There's a moon base. You know, there's this whole other thing out there. And the first thing that struck me about this conversation was how little the people having the conversation seem to know about the actual space program. And two, you know, they would make these broad statements about, uh, you know, it, it seems to me that they think, you know, the space shuttle is just wheeled out to the launch pad. Some guys come up and fuel it up and it launches. Well, it, they don't take into account the mammoth effort that each shuttle launch takes, and the you know vast amount of people that are that are behind there, that behind the scenes that you never see. And so, you know, when I was reaching out to these people, I you know I would say, you know, in particular, I, I would say, you know, just show me where to look, because it, it just can't be happening. There are resources required. There are measurable, measurable resources required. You know, I, I, one of the conversations we've had on the board is, you know, hydrogen. Uh, hydrogen is a measurable, quantifiable, necessary part of any space program. And it's we know where it's manufactured. We know how it's transported. We know they're the only places, in at least in this continent, or in the North America, where it's where it's being manufactured and we know where it's going and it's it's all you can find it all and it's you know it's not like within the 
the United States military budget to be totally self-contained. Uh, they they have to outsource just like everybody else does. You know, uh, I don't know if this for a fact, but you know, I, I know I've been told by a Navy pilot that you know, on today's in today's Navy, on if you on it, most ships, there's a large contingent of contractors there. They're not all Navy personnel. So I know that the military is outsourcing stuff. And so I started trying to track this stuff down. Where you know, where is this coming from? And I just found in in four years essentially of, of looking into this, there just there was just no meat on the bone. I mean there was no there's nothing to that argument. Um sure people can say all oh, the trillions of dollars are, are missing and they go into black budgets. But, you know, there there are no launch facilities. They're just not there. Um, I've heard uh, one of the things that I hear or have heard a lot is, you know, what is United States Air Force Space Command? What are, the, what are they doing? What is Army Space Command? Well, I was in a position to reach out to those people. And I was, you know, what are you guys doing? What are you up to? And in some cases, I didn't even have to ask. I knew what they were up to. Because, you know, I'll give you one example. Uh, the United States uh, Army Space Command had an astronaut in training in Russia when I was there. And I worked with him closely almost every day of the week. And so I got to know him really well. I could reach out to him. And uh, he was, uh, you know, extremely open to talking to me about this subject, as just about anybody else that I asked. And, uh, you know... I, I knew I was able to determine what the army was doing, what they were interested in. Of course, I don't know specifics as far as, you know, what satellites are being launched and what they do and that kind of thing. But I do know that their primary interest was satellites uh, and uh, satellites that do what you think they, you know, they would be doing. And so needless to say, I just could not find uh, and I had access, I want to clarify this, uh, and I want to make this point, uh, for a time, I had access to Dan Golden, who was the NASA director at the time. I had access to him, his staff, uh, their staff, all the way down to, you know, the facilities guys at Kennedy and Johnson, and every, almost everywhere in between. And uh, it just it just wasn't there. Well, I, you know, I can already hear the argument out there um, that, well, it would be something parallel to NASA. It wouldn't involve NASA, so NASA wouldn't know about it. Is that possible? Um, it, it's while it's possible, I would suggest that uh, again, show me, show me where. You know, uh, I know where the launch facilities are. There's just no evidence. Uh, if if you were to you know to put a, a man on the moon for the Apollo program took tens of thousands of people just to put you know the three first three guys on the moon mm-hmm. and to go one step further to take that that idea one step further say we're going to have a base on the moon then you know you're just exponentially increased your your resource needs that level of uh, consumption uh, would be measurable. That would that would just the resource the resources just aren't there to be consumed 
mm-hmm. at that level. You know, one of the things I, I brought up about hydrogen, uh, going back to that for a second, one space shuttle launch, um, every amount, every bit of hydrogen that's produced in North America for a month before that launch, it takes to launch the space shuttle. Now, the two major carriers uh, and producers of hydrogen in North America, um, they stop distribution to any other client to give to NASA for one space shuttle launch that, for a month. Mm. And their entire fleet of transport vehicles are dedicated to NASA. Um, and so imagine what it would take to put, you know, 10 guys on a moon just in, just in hydrogen and just expand that, that thought process to everything, to aluminum, to copper, to every, every resource you can, you can think of, let alone the manpower. One of the points you made on our message board is that India, in fact, uh, has the most launches, right? And are all of these various space programs, um, are they all in contact with each other? Does NASA work with India, work with Russia, uh, work with Japan, all that? Yep, absolutely. Um, All of the space programs talk to each other. Uh, Of course, uh, 15 of them are involved in the International Space Station program. Uh, NASA has a very close relationship with the Russian space program, which indeed that's why I was there. And so, um, yeah, there's a there's almost a daily. Uh, in some circles, there is a daily uh, discussion between all of the space programs, and don't forget that uh, they, there's also this this uh, astronaut exchange. Uh, we've sent there have been Japanese uh, astronauts on the shuttle. Australia has one astronaut. Uh, he's permanently attached to NASA. And so, yeah, absolutely, there's international cooperation at all levels. And, uh, Jeff, maybe you remember this. I don't, I don't remember her name, Wes. I'm hoping that you've come across her and know something about this. But that woman from NASA who claims that she, th- there was some room that she wasn't supposed to go into and, and she was shown, like, doctored photos uh, mm-hmm. of, you know, structures on the moon or UFOs or something like that, did, did, does any of this ring a bell? Or do I need to Google search this? <laughs> no, absolutely. Uh, you're talking about the lady who supposedly saw photographs in, uh, at JSC Building 8. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I don't know her. I don't know, uh, you know, what she saw. My imagination sort of tells me that, you know, somebody was playing a prank with her. Um, but no, I, I don't really know anything about that, to be perfectly honest with you. Hmm. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Never asked about her, huh? <laughs> no, no. Actually, um, the thing is, is that I can't imagine why. How do I? Say, if there were, if there were pictures of UFOs, um, unless uh, that that were in that building, she would not have been shown them, in my opinion. Was this the woman that was supposed to have been in charge of airbrushing them out, Jeremy? Or yeah, okay, yeah. And and I, I just you know I really can't comment on that because I just don't know. Mm-hmm. Have you ever come across anyone who's uh, talked about airbrushing anything out of uh, photos? No. Uh, anything that strikes you as that, like if you look at um, what people claim are airbrushed um, monuments on Mars or or the Moon, does any of that? ring true to you or is it just camera defects and no uh, um the 
the Mars thing is interesting, I have to admit. Um, I've looked at a lot of the photos, and there, there's some interesting things there. Uh, but uh, I worked really closely with sort of three or four members of, of NASA's public affairs team, and uh, I know sort of how they operate, saw them in action, and uh, especially I was, I was there during the whole uh, fire on Mir, on the Mir space station issue, and uh, so I saw them, you know, sort of in their finest moments, juggling between the international press and and uh, getting direction from from Johnson and headquarters. And so um, there's no that that's not the way that they would operate. Uh, I don't think that I I can't imagine NASA releasing airbrush photos. They just wouldn't release them because there's people out there like Jeff. Who would find? <laughs> well, I, I mean, I think when we talk about airbrushed uh, photos, I think that's kind of you know, uh, I don't want to seem like we're too naive here. We realize they're not using airbrush anymore to retouch photos. Number one, it'd be digitally done if anything. But I, I think Wes is absolutely right. Why would they release them at all? I mean, it, it wouldn't make any sense. Um, uh, I, I think if nothing else, you'd give people to talk about. Um, you know, why do we have 00018 and then we jump to 0027? What, what are they missing? And that would be the end of it. I mean, it would be just another, yeah, throw that into the conspiracy bin and um, it wouldn't go anywhere anyway. <laughs> I mean... Um, yeah, it's the same thing as releasing a manual with, you know, the first, you know, let's say pages 5 through 10 missing. Right, right. right. You know, it's... National security. <laughs> yeah, right. look here. Right. Exactly. Right, but I mean, I, th I think NASA becomes like any other, um, and I don't talk much about the, the government cover-up stuff anymore, but uh, I think it, with NASA, it's always going to be kind of the same thing for me. It's like if something, if something was found that wasn't supposed to be known by the general public, and I, I mean, I don't have any doubt that there's been something found somewhere um, that they find at least moderately interesting as far as a potential exotic culture living on either, you know, on Mars or what have you. Um, I don't know that there's definitely something there, but let's say tomorrow, you know, they find a, an artificial structure on Mars and it just isn't something that they want released to the general public. There are, and I'm sure you can verify this, Wes, there are probably a myriad of reasons why they could say that um, certain information shouldn't be released. Or, uh, I mean, it, it just becomes a question of black on top of black on top of black. There's always going to be a reason. Even if you would take NASA to court over this, it'd be useless because there's always going to be some underlying reason that can eventually come down to national security or any of these things. I mean, wouldn't you agree with that? I mean, I have to wonder... Judging by the way you're talking about a lot of people, you know, listening to Coast to Coast, being interested in this subject as it applies to what we're talking about, it, it sounds like um, <laughs> it sounds like the people are interested in this stuff, but um, they have to keep up appearances, and therefore we don't talk about that outwardly. Um, yeah, absolutely, I agree with you. Uh, if if there were if there were things found the the organization would circle the wagons and 
exactly, you know, you're at, people take NASA to court all the time. Sure. And, you know, and they don't have a problem. They have, they have a staff of attorneys in, in Washington who will take care of it. Yeah. Yeah. You're not, you're not going to crack that nut. I mean, that's just not happening. It's pretty telling that NASA, people at NASA are listening to Art Bell or Coast to Coast <laughs> or whatever. If, if you're listening to Coast to Coast... Uh, for information, then you probably don't know that much, right? Well, here's the thing. This is a really good point. Um, you know, there's a there's there's really a couple of sources, but the main one uh, there's a there's a a website called NASA Watch. And if anybody that works in NASA wants to know what's going on in NASA, that's where they find out. Um, I don't know where those guys get their information, and I'm sure they're fed from within the organization. But a lot of times they had things posted on, you know, the NASA Watch website before we even knew it about, you know, sort of Russian operations. Uh, it was there on that site before we were even told. I can think of one specific example where, uh, you know, we, including astronauts, weren't, weren't told that something that was going to happen, but we read about it on, on NASA Watch. Hmm. And you had mentioned on the forum that there are a lot of experiencers or abductees or whatever word you like to use working at NASA trying to figure out what's going on with them and that they post to NASA Watch. And so if there were some secret thing you would know about it, did, did I read that right? Yep, absolutely. How, uh, if, how do you know that? Who? Who? Name names. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, let me think. Uh, I'm not going to Wait, name that no, worked? No, of course. Oh. No, I'm not, I'm not going <laughs> to name names. I can tell you that I've had... Uh, uh, I think one gentleman that I spent almost an entire day talking to uh, about uh, he was he was one of the guys who introduced me to Coast to Coast, and we were talking about these subjects, you know, like remote viewing, like UFOs, and um, he admitted to me that he was uh, he you know he was an experiencer. He had had multiple encounters with UFO, and uh, didn't know have any idea what it was. And this guy is fairly high up in the NASA organization now. And so, uh, you know, I know that there are flight directors that have seen UFOs. Um, there are tons of people that I can think of that have seen UFOs, but uh, they, it's almost like, yeah, you know, I saw it. I don't know what it is. So get on, get on with my life. No. Don't let it we'll affect my we'll, we'll, we'll take you out to a really good dinner if you give us the name. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't do that because I don't have his permission. But I could ask. Is Red Lobster good? Yeah. <laughs> Just in so, preparation, you know. So, yeah, the um, uh, there are – I've had tons of conversations with people who've told me that they've seen UFOs. I, unfortunately, have never seen one. But uh, – I think that, uh, or maybe fortunately, I've never seen one. Yeah. Have but, any of their stories struck you as, you know, like missing time, any of the sort of telltale signs of possible abduction, that sort of thing? No. Huh. Well, Wes, you've known a lot of astronauts over the years as well. Mm-hmm. Um, have any of them ever said to you, you know, we saw something up there and it was quite bizarre and we didn't know what to make of it or uh, uh, any anything I, of that kind? I've never had an American astronaut tell me that on orbit they saw uh, a UFO. I have 
been told by a Russian cosmonaut that they saw something that they couldn't explain oh. uh, while on the mirror. Oh, okay. Um, something that they thought was intelligently controlled or just something uh, incredibly strange? Something that took a, a 90 degree right hand turn. Uh, and, and so it would make sense if you think about it, because uh, uh, the Russians do things uh, differently than we do, uh, but uh, they gain this this extra experience because uh, you know the the most you know most of the people on the planet that have uh, the most time in space are Russians. Mm. You know, I can think of. Um, Let's see, two members of the first uh, Expedition 1 crew, the first crew of the International Space Station, have Sergei Krikalov and um, Yuri Gatsenko. Uh, Sergei Krikalov spent an entire year on the Mir. Mm. So, you know, sort of the catbird seat idea. You know, sure. If you're going to see something, you know, find the guy who's been up there for a year. Mm. So it was him? No. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah, we got it. That's it. <laughs> Thanks, Wes. Yeah. Thanks, Wes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a very interesting thing that uh, I found that I did want to relate to you guys, which is uh, one of the reasons why I look to Eastern Europe and, and to the Balkans for information now. Uh, they, UFO, with, with American astronauts or, or with, in America in general, UFO has a certain connotation. You know, the Russians uh, uh, are sort of blasé about it. Yeah, okay, whatever. What about it? So uh, there's a more there's more open uh, dialogue with them than with... Uh, I got very frustrated with, with trying to deal officially within the organization uh, and get information, so I started looking to, to our international partners for information. Hmm. Has anyone ever told you to back off? Nope, never happened. Oh. Uh, as a joke slash experiment, you know, I would uh, said I, I did have a Citizens Against UFO Secrecy T-shirt, <laughs> and so you know, I'd walk around. We all uh, in in Moscow, NASA is a very tight community. Uh, it lives in one location. Uh, everybody lives there. Um, or at least when I when I was there, everybody lived there. Uh, and you, you couldn't help but run over, basically run over each other in the halls and going to the gym and, and leaving the building. And so, you know, I, I walk around with the uh, the cause T-shirt just to see if I could get, you know, basically begging anybody to to, to tell you something. Sure. To say yeah, and uh, nope, everybody would look at it, read it, laugh, and, and go on. Hmm. <laughs> Did you ever look uh, into the uh, Kecksburg crash? No. Uh, now that's something that NASA lost the lawsuit to, right, and is going to have to release documents on. Yeah, that's the whole. Uh, what's what's her name? Leslie, I forget. Leslie Le- yeah. yeah, Leslie Keen. That's that's her thing. No, I don't know anything about the. See, the problem was is I I, I knew. I I don't know. You know, I'm not this encyclopedia of of UFO events, so I don't know specifics. I'm I, I really came to it totally blind. I just wanted to know what, you know, I figured if there's anybody that can tell me about UFOs, it's got to be astronauts. Right. Sure. And yeah. here they are. <laughs> so so let's let's ask. But well, as, far, me, as far as specific let, cases, I, I really don't know. 
Let me let me ask you this. This is probably more down your line. The general rumor is that not long after the Challenger disaster in '86, I think, underneath of a project called Aurora, which we've only heard the name of, I don't think anyone's really gotten a good look at what this thing looks like if it even exists. Not long after all of that, there was there was a lot of sightings of. Um, I'd say maybe 1990, of an aircraft that was described by a lot of people as a quote-unquote mothership. And um, it was said to, it, to kind of resemble like the XB-70, the, the Valkyrie bomber, uh, but much, much, much larger. Now, I think what they called this thing was the Super Valkyrie, uh, and it went underneath of a project named Blue blue eyes, I think, um, and I, you know, I'm trying to recall half of this stuff out of my head. But uh, the XB70, if I read it right, was saying something like achieve a, a speed of Mach three, um, so it wasn't any kind of slow little thing. Uh, that was later supposed to have been a larger version was supposed to have been built that was essentially like. A, a space plane um, of some sort. Now, does any of this ring a bell with your work? And I know there's probably going to be things you can't say about or can't talk about, but does it, any of this ring a bell to you? Because this is really, I think, where a lot of the the secret space stuff, uh, secret space program sort of, I don't know if it came from this, but it cert- this certainly helped things along a little bit. Yeah, sure. Uh I was very interested in. I, I know about Aurora. I mean, from the rumors, mm-hmm. uh, from I, I probably know just about as much, if not a little less, than you do about it. But I do know uh, if you take into sort of context, uh, you know, the the SR seventy one Blackbird has flown from California to DC in sixty eight minutes. Right. Uh, I think that's the world record, uh, or at least the top speed for that particular aircraft. Mm-hmm. Um, I was told uh, because I'm, I was very I'm very interested in, in in this subject of these secret aircraft. Mm-hmm. Um, I was told by uh, not an astronaut but a person who was a Navy Navy flyer that if you were to take off from there is an aircraft that uh, if if you were to take off from Nellis Air Force Base out of Las Vegas, fly out over the California coast, sort of come around in a circle um, and you hit ca- the, the coastline of California at top speed and uh, you could do that California to DC flight in 44 minutes. Mm-hmm. So that would be approximately the speed you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Okay. Does, does, would you think that I mean, I know that uh, well, I'll tell you this short experience because it, it is very short. Uh, well, my son was very little. Um, my wife used to leave for work very early. I live in Maryland, um, not horribly far from Aberdeen Proving Grounds, which is one of the U.S. Army's testing grounds for ordnance. Um, my son was outside by the car, and I had forgotten one of his books inside, so he was standing on the sidewalk. I think he was all of about six years old. And uh, 
I actually ran up to the door and uh, and grabbed one of the books he had set on the floor, went back out. It was no more than, I don't know, 40 seconds at the most. And um, there was an immense boom. I mean, an immense boom. Uh, like I don't think I've ever heard since. Uh, when we went out, um, or when I got down to the, the car to him, I, I said, what was that? And he, he pointed up in the air and he says, there's the, uh, the, the, it left smoke behind it. And, um, he said it was shaped like a diamond and that it was beige. Uh, he said it didn't have any wings and it looked like it had scales on it. Um, this thing left donuts on a rope contrail. And uh, I think back then I had heard something about nuclear pulse detonation engines, but later I heard something about like cryogenic liquid methane could be the same kind of thing, which actually would cool the damn thing if it was that fast. Um, something like that, that's got that kind of speed, uh, that kind of airspeed that can, that can traverse that kind of land, is it such a stretch to think that we've got something that probably can break orbit and 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 you know truck that kind of speed uh, elsewhere? Um, I mean, it, it just that that is if if that is a, a real thing, that is a ridiculous accomplishment. Um, and I just saw a thing on I think it was History Channel, it's the history of UFOs or something like that. And at the end, the man shows you a contrail that goes across the United States. And um, I think we're probably talking about the same type of craft that um, is Mach 3 or better. Um, I mean, stuff like that. I mean, I don't, I don't think it's such a stretch to think that it's possible that there have been craft built that probably could take off and land like an airplane, but essentially could fly to the moon if they wanted to. I mean, um, I have always looked at stories like that when I've heard people talk of these kind of things, and I thought, well, that would mean that NASA is really just kind of like the public's, that's the front for something that is hiding something much larger, or or not a front, but an in, inadvertent front. This is the face we put on to the public, and even the people who work there don't know, because we can keep them funded only to do so much. I mean, I think these are the kind of thoughts that kind of get generated by people who really subscribe to a secret space program in general. So is something like that out of the realm of our capabilities at this point to fly to the moon in something that looks like an airplane? Uh, I don't know about the moon, but I, I would respond with that, uh, to that, I should say. Um, we tend to forget that, uh, you know, let's just go back to the SR-71 Blackbird it was a U-2 replacement, um, made its first official flights, you know, back in the really early 60s, yeah. officially. Um, so I tend to, to picture in my mind, you know, you're this little kid walking in a field out, you know, let's say in Kansas. It's 1961. Uh, you know, you're in this field all alone, and it's all, all of a sudden you get buzzed by an SR-71 Blackbird. Yeah. Uh, you know, going, let's say, you know, Mach 1. Well, what the hell was that? Um, and so I, I agree with you, you know, given the the lead time in development, 
that aircraft have, I would suggest that things we've seen come out, you know, the toys we've seen come out of the closet for, you know, let's say Iraq, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, let's let's just think about, you know, when the war started, bombers were taking off from, I believe, Missouri, mm-hmm. bombing Iraq, and then going back to Missouri. Yeah. Uh, that's, I mean, that's... Convenient. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I think that uh, uh, I definitely believe that there are... Uh, the things that we know about are probably 20 years off. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, one of the my concerns about the, the sort of the future, you know, I tried to one of the things I tried to put across on the boards is I don't believe that there is a secret space program yet mm-hmm. um, but with things like the the X prize competition and you know and you have Sir Richard Branson with his Virgin Galactic and you know you see this commercialization of launch vehicles um, that would be really convenient mm-hmm. for uh, if I were in the in the outsourcing office, I could just push the uh, the launch vehicle to go back to the moon and push it off to Lockheed Martin and say, you know, this is yours now. I don't know anything about it, and now it's not even a national uh, a matter of national security. It's a it's an industrial secret. Hmm. And so to get back to I got sidetracked there, but to get off. To get back to your point, I agree with you. I think that uh, we don't know what we have. I think it's definitely. I, I, I won't. I'm not willing to go as far as to say it's, it's willing. It, it's you know you can uh, take off and, and fly directly to the moon and come back. But mm-hmm. I definitely believe that there are low Earth orbit aircraft. Okay. Well, here's a question: uh, How many really smart scientists are there in the world, and could they really all work on? Uh, say that project and not know people at NASA uh, not ever transfer to NASA or transfer out of NASA and tell their friends and contacts I mean wouldn't this eventually have reached somewhere else outside of the black budget world yep exactly that's my that's one of my biggest points is you know I did this little thing on the boards where I did some basic math and I said you know let's just say you were going to go and build a base on the moon. Let's estimate. Uh, you know, I'll tell you exactly how many people it takes to launch a shuttle. Now, let's just say it takes four times that many. Well, th- and let's say that everybody made sixty-five thousand dollars a year. You know, it came out to—I forget exactly—but it came out to, you know, billions and billions of dollars just in salary. Hmm. Um, your resource, your your human resource. Uh, needs would be just immense. So, no, to answer your question, no, it couldn't happen. Uh, I don't, I don't, in my opinion, it couldn't happen. Somebody's got to sweep the floors. Do you, do you think that's one of the reasons that the X-24C was scrapped? Was because they just didn't yeah. have the money for it? Uh, that was, it was a huge drain. Uh, mm-hmm. The International Space Station was costing them way much more money than they thought it would. Mm-hmm. Uh Lots more money than they thought it would, and uh, yeah, I think that X twenty four was was scrapped because of lack of resources. 
Hmm. And no, you know, I don't think that there are, you know, there there are there are really, you know, tons of people, uh, especially in Eastern Europe, who are really smart, gifted scientists. So yeah, you know, there were there are tons of of, of Russians out there who would be able to work on this sort of thing. Uh, not to mention, you know, any other country. But eventually, just because of the nature of the space program, you're going to get back into the private world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, eventually you're going to find someone like me <laughs> who's who's uh, interested enough in the subject to uh, leak the information out. Mm. Well, what do you so, think of... Um, you, you've heard a Jeff's story of being shown a videotape of uh, some sort of large triangular craft hovers mm-hmm. out of a hangar, stands on the point of its nose. There's a stadium full of people applauding. Uh, goes back into the hangar. Did, are you familiar with that? Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, vaguely, yes. Um, so, so what the hell was he shown? <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, there are... Uh, I, I can't answer that. I wish I could. Uh, and it's not that it's a secret that I know that I can't... I just don't know. Um, but, uh, I don't doubt it for one, you know, for one minute, I don't doubt it. Yeah. I guess Hmm. the other sort of thing that, that, that we don't talk about or, you know, think about is it's quite possible that a lot of these projects, uh, the things that you were shown or that your son saw, Jeff, just didn't pan out, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I, I think what, what kind of gets me about NASA and, and the the Air Force is like something like X twenty four C, which was like, I guess for people who don't know, it was like a, a rocket plane. Um, they they couldn't get enough money to do it, so apparently, just what Wes said, they they essentially handed it. Am I right in saying that they handed that over to Lockheed, Wes? Um, I, I don't know about the X twenty four. Um, I know that. Uh... The X-33 was definitely pushed over into that world. Uh, I mean, because there's a, a, a aviation historian, I think the, the last name is, I, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this right or not, but Fran- Francillon, René Francillon, um, yeah. in, in a survey that they did of Lockheed aircraft published in like 82, they said Lockheed had already flown an experimental aircraft capable of, of sustained flight at Mach 6. <laughs> I mean, so right there... Mach six? Are you joking? I mean, well, sure. I, no, uh, yeah. You know, the thing I think it comes down to is uh, um, mass so, yeah, is always an issue. Yeah, NASA can't get the money together, but yet, you know, you know, the the, the private industrial complex can. Um, so I, I have. I mean, again, you have to wonder how many corporations such as Lockheed, or maybe something we don't even know about. Um, and, and again, this is why I'm so suspicious of so many UFO reports, is that is it, is it entirely possible that somebody like Lockheed has a craft that the U.S. government doesn't know about? Is that possible? Absolutely. Um, I mean, so I, I, I often hear about these you know, so-called mile-wide triangular craft, and, and a lot of people say, well, we don't have anything like that because where in the hell would you put it? Uh, and I've always said, well, we've got a lot of ocean around here, you know. Uh, you know, if you've got a, um, a a pretty secure body of water, 
um, you know, that that's strictly for military use. You can park that thing just inches underneath the water and be fine. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it confounds me that a lot of, possibly a lot of what people are seeing and the government is denying that they know anything about it. Could it be Lockheed craft flying around that they're just trying out or, or some other company that we don't know about? Um, and are they doing it legally? <laughs> are they flying it legally? You know, I mean, <laughs> uh, well, you, that's the stuff I wonder about. One of my, one of my suspicions has always been, you know, if, if you were going to fly an experimental aircraft, uh, that, you know, let's say is a mile wide. Um, mm. Why would you fly it over St. Louis? <laughs> uh, well, unless you know, you're having problems. I mean, well, you have you have. Let's say you have D, you know Diego Garcia in the Indian Ocean. Uh, you know, one of the largest U.S. military installations outside of the United States is actually in Australia. You could fly out of Australia, and you could you know be in the, um, you know, you could be over Antarctica or any of that area sort of with impunity Pretty and much. never be seen. Uh, and, and to correlate what you're saying, uh, one of the things that I know for sure in Russia, because uh, I'm in touch with several Russians who are sort of amateur ufologists, the va- uh, I'm not going to say the vast majority, but a large portion of UFO sightings in, uh, especially, in, let's say, Western Russia, actually occur uh, near Russian Air Force bases. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and Russia is, is one of those places where, um, you know, it's kind of hard to explain, but essentially let's, let's just talk about uh, Star City, or G- the Gagarin Cosmonaut Training Center, where the United States astronauts train when they're in country. Well, the base is actually the entire town. So, so when you get off at the train station, you know you're in Star City. Now there is a walled, there is a walled military area, which you know if you're not authorized, you just do, don't go in. But uh, everybody that works at the base lives there, and so uh, it's interesting to me to note that uh, people who live around these things. These bases are are reporting, you know, these UFO sightings, and and they're reporting them over over Russian bases. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, uh, the Russian military doesn't seem to be so alarmed. At least when I was in country, you know, they they weren't alarmed at all. And so you would assume that if they're not alarmed, well, then they know what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would I would make that leap. Or they. You know, or they know that there's nothing they can do about it anyway. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, you know. Uh, if we're talking about the genuine article, there, I mean, it's it's. Um, I mean, that that was kind of my thought on O'Hare Airport's uh, major sighting, which was you know, post nine eleven airport that you know has a, a disc hovering over it for uh, well, probably around twenty minutes, and not a single jet fighter, not a single airplane, helicopter, nothing. So it's either ours or they know there's, there's nothing they can do about it, that they're going to fly up on it and it's going to take off, and why bother? Um, why bother acknowledging it if it's the gender in the article? So um, right. leaves us in a really good position that it's either ours or not. <laughs> um, right, but well, I, I'm, I'm curious, being in Russia and, and working in Russia 
how long were you you there? Four years. Had anyone ever mentioned to you anything about an area called the M Triangle in Russia? No. Hmm. That is um, supposed supposedly, from what I heard uh, a long time ago, was like the place for UFOs in Russia. It looked like a relatively small farming town in the middle of nowhere, and um, they'd seen all matter of strange shit around the you know that area, um, and including. Uh, teams of researchers that had gone out there and been chased down by small balls of light that burned them. One man was, was uh, uh, touched by something in the woods there, some sort of light, and uh, ends up killing himself over it. I mean, that's just a very, very, very strange place from what I understand. And uh, I'd be curious if, uh, if you know anyone over there, if you could ask, you know, if they'd ever heard of that place. Sure, absolutely. I'll ask. Uh, uh... I actually might know what you're talking about. Um, I just didn't know that that was what it was called. But uh, there is a there is a place uh, in the Ural region mm-hmm. um, that has a lot of strange activity going on uh, mm-hmm. to this day. Um, I'll ask, and I'll, I'll post on the board. Okay, great. Yeah, I'd love to know what kind of follow. I haven't heard anything about it since probably the late '80s. Um, but I, I, you know, a lot of these things you hear once and you become interested in it, and then you never get any follow up from anything. And I'd yeah. be curious what what you can find out about that. Yeah, there is a there is a lot of activity going on over the Balkans right now, um, mm-hmm. and uh, the, the the Black Sea region in general seems to be a, a real hot spot right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I just returned uh, from Bulgaria, um, and. Uh, my wife is Bulgarian. We own a home there, mm-hmm. and uh, so um, we're there quite a bit. And and that's been the really the only people I've been talking to who are in, seriously investigating this at all uh, are actually Bulgarians. Huh. And so um, uh, I have tons of friends over there who are, um, you know, it's it's a really sad story, but it's. It's basically it's Eastern Europe. Everybody is, you know, severely overeducated and severely underpaid, and so right. And, and so, um, you know, it, it's the the good part about it is it's not so hard to find aviation engineers and nuclear engineers and physicists and you know, and, and so uh, there are tons of them over there that are investigating this stuff, and and so um, yeah, there's there seems to be a flap going on over over the Balkans right now, which is really interesting. Do most of those people kind of lean towards the extraterrestrial hypothesis, or do they pretty much remain neutral on everything? Um, actually, the majority of people that I have talked to, in, especially in the recent, I would say in the past maybe two or three years, have really sort of started to step away from the extraterrestrial hypothesis. Yay! <laughs> they, they've started to say, well, you know, let's. Uh, I had one gentleman tell me uh, not too long ago that uh, you know, it just it just doesn't answer all of his questions. Right, doesn't fit. Uh, it, yeah, exactly. It, it. He he basically told me that you know if you have if you if you see this this object and and he was referring specifically there's a uh, there's a town in Bulgaria called. Plevin, and uh, there was an object seen there 
by multiple witnesses. Mm-hmm. Um, it was in broad daylight. And uh, it's almost like the O'Hare thing. Uh, it was there, and then, you know, with no acceleration, it was just gone. Right. But you sort of see it, you, you know, in a blink of an eye, you see it leave. Right. And, and, and so he was he was sort of hard at work on that one, and, you know, and he was just saying that it just didn't fit. The whole, in this particular instance, you know, he could he could blow holes through the whole extraterrestrial hypothesis. Right. You know. Huh. Have you ever heard anything, uh, and, and I'm sure you're at least somewhat knowledgeable about the history of ufology and, and the major, probably the more major cases and whatnot. Um, right. Have you ever heard within the hallways of NASA uh, anything that more or less correlated to a major sighting in the U.S. or abroad that you could sit there and uh, these people would actually tell you, well, yeah, that was us. That, that wasn't anything weird. Um, that may answer like a, a burning question such as Gulf Breeze, Florida or Pine Bush, New York, or, um, you know, it, it, even out in some of the Western, uh, you know, the Stevensville stuff, um, or, Belgium. You know, or Belgium. Yeah. Um, you know, some of these major things, has anyone ever kind of alluded to you that that was ours or this one or that one was ours? Not in a major case, uh, okay. but actually quite the opposite. Uh, I was in Russia mm-hmm. In 1997, uh, when the whole Phoenix Lights thing happened. Okay. Uh, and uh, sort of conversely, uh, my college roommate uh, was stationed at Luke Air Force Base mm. uh, in 1997. Uh, I, I went into the space program and he went into the Air Force. And so um, uh, quite the opposite. There were... Uh, the, the 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 space world was buzzing <laughs> after huh. after Phoenix after the Phoenix Lights thing and uh, uh, to this day uh, Jamie the guy who's my college roommate uh, who was stationed there uh, will not speak to me about the the Phoenix Lights incident. Hmm. Uh, the only thing that he will tell me is that uh, he was on duty. Um, he worked. There's a there's a squadron, or it used to be a squadron of aircraft, um, at uh, uh, I believe of F-16s at Luke Air Force Base, and they were called the Green Lanterns. Mm-hmm. And uh, he worked specifically with them. Uh, and uh, he would tell me he t- you know he was basically the only thing he will say is that he was on duty that night, and uh, I can get nothing more out of him about it. Uh, hmm. The Phoenix Lights incident is the is the one incident that I've ever been told, you know, uh, not back off, but nobody has information on or nobody's willing to share information on. Hmm. So he wouldn't even confirm that it was uh, that it was flares, which is what they said it was, right? Uh, he wouldn't even talk to me about it at all. Huh. And, hmm. and so we were roommates for years, and so we know each other pretty well. And, uh, um, yep, nope. Uh, the only thing that I know of is that uh, whenever I bring it up to him, he goes stone face and changes the subject. Perhaps we need to buy a case of beer and head out <laughs> yes. into the woods with your friend, 
as we, we, we Germans have ways of making you talk. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, so, so you know, the, the one thing you did mention, though, uh, I, I've been wanting to, to communicate uh, to you for a while, though. You did mention Gulf Breeze. Yes. And as you might know, uh, I'm from that area. Oh, uh, I'm, okay. I'm originally from Mobile, Alabama. That's where oh, I was born and raised. And yeah. so I was wondering if you had any thoughts. I'm going to turn around a bit and ask you a question. Is that uh, um, do you think there's any coincidence to the fact that uh, around the time Walter started seeing things uh, in in Gulf Breeze, the um, the Air Force was mo- moving ex- its experimental aircraft testing. Uh, facilities to Eglin Air Force Base. Well, I, I think it was weird that um, I think not long after he he started seeing the the top shape thing at the very beginning of his sightings. I found it really interesting that they brought in the uh, the large Doppler radar uh, to set up. Uh, I don't think it was at Shoreline Park, but I think it was somewhere. Um, Maybe it was right in Pensacola. I can't quite remember where that was, but they—I know they set one up on a barge as well, out in the Santa Rosa Sound. Um, and I thought, well, why would they be doing that if if they knew what they were looking at? I'll tell you what I did find interesting. That um, uh, are are you familiar with the Empress Project? That, uh, it rings a bell. It rings a bell, but I, I can't quite. It was remember. a, um, and this has been many many years ago. The Empress Project was actually in the Chesapeake Bay, and it was an. I always try to remember what the letters stand for, but essentially it was an electromagnetic pulse simulator for ships, so they could basically harden ships against nuclear uh, detonations, aerial nuclear detonations. And and this is all, by the way, out of the textbook of um, a researcher named Bob Exler, who you can take or leave because of the way he exited this field, but. Uh, I personally found a lot of this very interesting. Whether or not all of it's true, I really don't know because I haven't looked enough at it. But Empress was a real project, and when they began testing that in the Chesapeake Bay, there began uh, a, a UFO wave in the Chesapeake Bay Bridge area. And we're talking about structured objects that were hanging over houses for minutes on end. Um uh, it was reported on a couple of occasions that there were discs moving around uh, feet, literally a, a matter of feet above the water around the Bay Bridge that were, uh, quote, scooting along the water, intercepting what looked like meteors coming down out of the sky. And these were not things that flew off in a dash. In one case, there was two boys, uh, lit waterfront home, they went out to get in their rowboat to go fishing, and there was a big dead fish washed up on the shore. And they thought, well, this is good. Let, let's go in and get our camera, and we'll take pictures of ourselves with this big dead fish. Not a bad idea if you want a good fish story. So when they came back out, there was a disc in the sky, a perfectly structured object. They took a series of, I think, maybe five or six shots of this. And so far as I know, because uh, I've never really seen anything like this before, This is the only type of documented shot of a UFO, well, leaving in a series of photographs, which show uh, small white lights encircling the disc, and then these little dots, basically the disc moving in between 
these this circle of lights and disappearing right before their faces. Empress left the Chesapeake Bay after two young people were killed in a Cessna that when the pulse went off, it fried the airplane. The airplane crashed. The kids were killed uh, that were flying it. Killed millions of fish, I'm sure. So they moved it down around uh, uh, somewhere around Florida. And I want to say somewhere between Guantanamo and, and Florida, somewhere in that area. And that, incidentally, is when a lot of stuff started happening in Gulf Breeze. So whether that had something to do with it, I don't know. I, I don't know about um, the Air Force moving anything into the area at the time. I have had a lot, a lot, a lot of people talk to me about Gulf Breeze that have said what Ed Walter saw was experimental craft. And as far as his abduction experiences and all of that, I've heard that, you know, he couldn't have had these experiences because that's ours. But I think judging by what we saw later on, uh, after the, the top shape thing had dissipated, uh, the sightings of the um, of Bubba were still going on. We had these spherical um, silver objects, clearly structured objects that were on video that were leaving uh, a pretty decent sized frame of video at a, at a great distance. Um, and if you blink, you would lose, you, you would, you would miss it leaving. It was that fast instant acceleration, probably some of the best UFO footage I've ever seen. And I, I, I rarely say, I don't think we have things like that. And I won't say we don't, but if we do, we are light years past where I thought we would be at this point in history. I mean, to see this thing on tape and I have a, a really good copy of it. It's astounding. And I mean, I've not seen anything like that in Can any other. Online? Uh, it is online actually. Um, I'm, I'm going to post it to our message board so people can see it. Whether or not I can get it at full speed, I'm not sure. But um, this was shot probably back in the early 90s, 92, 93. Looks very much like what Ed Walter shot that Bruce talked about when he was on the show, Bruce McAbee. Um, that, as I remember, Ed Walter shot this object on Thanksgiving Day back in the, I don't know, like I said, early 90s, I'm guessing. Because I went to Exler's house and... He showed it to me the day that it came in. He's like, where do you see this? And when he showed it to me, I was like, why isn't this on TV already? <laughs> I mean, come on. But uh, there was better. There was that footage that was shot uh, by someone anonymously that was off their back porch. And you literally see them set the camera down. You hear their car start. They leave. And this thing kind of just drifts into the frame and sits there for a couple of minutes. And then when it takes off, it is gone. You see only a small dark colored streak leaving the frame. And, um, I think Bruce told us what the speed must have been for it to have done that. Cause he actually wrote a paper on instant acceleration after seeing that footage. Stuff like that, I don't know what to make of that because you, on one hand, I've got a lot of people telling me that was ours, and on the other hand, you've got these extraordinarily bizarre-looking things that are moving in a way that I just I can't even comprehend um, that we would have something like that. But 
who's to say? I don't know. So I don't, I don't know everything we have. I don't want to know everything we have. If we have stuff that can do that, that's just crazy technology for me. Well, the reason why I ask is um, I, I distinctly remember being from the area. I distinctly remember, and I actually have a friend who's trying to track it down for me now. Um, when Ed Walters' first book came out, mm-hmm. he was on local radio in Mobile. He was being oh. interviewed. Okay. And I distinctly remember, because I listened to the whole thing, uh, and a friend of mine that is actually has access to the radio station is combing its archives now trying to find that station, that, that program for me. And if he does, I'll definitely get you guys a copy of it. Cool. Um, the uh, the reason why he's tra- wanting him to track this down is, so if, you, if you're standing in Gulf Breeze and you sort of look west, if you could see over the horizon, what you'd see is Dolphin Island off the mm-hmm. coast of Mobile. And I know that he must have had at least 20 or 30 people call in saying that they were seeing the same things over Dolphin Island. Hmm. And uh, in the, um, the the eastern portion of Dolphin Island, off the east, the eastern coast of it. Okay. So, so uh, I'm trying to track that program down, and uh, I know uh, we know we've sort of narrowed it down to about when it was because of you know the sort of the publishing date of, of his first book. Okay. But I'm, I'm trying to track that information down. So that's the reason why I asked is because. They were seeing the same things off of Dolphin Island. They were seeing the top-shaped object that that same they were, they golf were seeing, UFO, quote unquote. Yeah, yes. Wow. Now that's damn curious, isn't it? Um, um, which would make sense because, see, if um, if you sort of you know sort of take a bird's eye view of of Gulf Breeze, mm-hmm. where Ed is Ed Walters is seeing these things. If you track these things. If they were high enough, you'd see them from Dolphin Island. Hmm. I'd be and, curious. You know, I shot footage down there um, at one point when I was at a conference down there, and uh, I was standing. Well, you might as well say I was standing in the direction of the beach um, as soon as you can get to the beach when you roll into Gulf Breeze, and I was facing towards the airport, and, and I shot something that was a little weird and and moved pretty erratically. I have to wonder if that's in that direction or not. I wouldn't be able to even say without a map. It's been so long since I've been down there. Sure. But, um, you know, uh, Dolphin Island it's called, though. Okay. Yep, D-A-U-P-H-I-N. Okay, Dolphin. I'll have to check that out. That sounds really interesting. And we're having Bruce McAbee back on the show soon, so I'll ask him about it. Um, yeah, please do. Um, and as soon as I get, if if we are able to locate this this radio program, you guys would definitely get a, get a copy. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that. That'd be great. That's, I, I mean, if there, if I had to pick a case that I had to look at the rest of my life, I think that would be it. <laughs> I'm fascinated by Gulf Breeze, whatever it is. Um, it, it's, it's, it's the, the whole place down there is very, it is very much like uh, what I encountered in Pine Bush, New York, when I went there. It's just a very weird place, and, and I always went into these quote unquote hotspot areas with a great deal of skepticism when it came to uh, what was really going on there. And I'll tell you what, neither place disappointed me very much. Um, it, there's definitely some weird stuff going on in both places. So, um, yeah, whatever you could find out would be great. You know, to this day, it's 
really you know sort of common knowledge, especially among the like the boating community mm-hmm. off of Mobile, the people that I'm I, I have access to and talk to, um, you know, to this day, they say you know you want to see some weird stuff, anchor your boat off the coast of Fort Walton Beach mm-hmm. uh, in the middle of the week, and uh, stay up all night. <laughs> huh. To this day. That's crazy. That's crazy. Hmm. So no, I mean, there's just got to be a, a tie into Eglin there. I mean, it's just got to be in, 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 in my mind. Well, there was um, – I wish I had it in front of me. Uh, while I'm talking to you, I'll, I'll look. Um, there was a – was a sighting at, at Eglin, Eglin um, a long time ago that, um, that kind of fascinated me, which uh, I was writing a paper on Golf Breeze that – Basically, I think it, it, it had gotten the, the misdiagnosis that everything about Golf Breeze uh, started and ended with Ed Walters, and I knew that that just wasn't true. But um, unless you can kind of name names and places like that, that um, you wouldn't be able to really um, tell people about um, what happened before Ed Walters, that was there UFO sightings and all that kind of stuff. And I'm looking through my emails here because I know I sent this to myself. There is um, there was a major sighting at um, at Eglin, and I found it really interesting because rarely will you hear anybody from the military say that they don't know or you know, hey, that's a good question or whatever. So here we got uh, Eglin Air Force Base. This is this is the uh, I'm just going to read this excerpt from what I wrote here. Uh, it says Eglin Air Force Base itself has had its share of odd sightings as well. On February 2nd, 1976, an unidentified object was sighted at the east end of Duke Field. Uh, Air Force officials say the UFO did not show up in more than 40 photographs or on their radar screens. Officials could not explain why this was so. Strange that it wouldn't photograph since the object being reported to be as large as a Boeing 707 or C-130 cargo plane. Half a dozen people saw this object. The first to see it was a military policeman while making his rounds at about 4.35 a.m. According to Lieutenant Steve Fallon of the Eglin Air Information Office, the object was visible then uh, from then until first light. When Fallon was asked why nothing appeared on any photographs, he answered, that's a good question. So Eglin itself has had, you know, major sightings around it when the, you know, the information officer says something like, why wouldn't it show up in photographs? You have to wonder, well, did it? And they're just not giving them up, you know, because, again, I mean, and this is probably another good question to ask you, um, have you ever heard of anything that NASA has that is on the secret side that they have used the UFO enigma to cover up kind of as a cover story type of thing? Have you ever run across that? No. I hate to say... uh that but no um my let's see the only thing that i could think of uh would be uh i do know that they they were doing test flights of the x33 slash x34 and uh got a lot of ufo reports uh over at edwards uh while they were doing those uh those test flights but they just basically confirmed, yeah, that's us. Okay. Jer? Yes, I wanted to ask a selfish question, which is um, on the board, the message board, you'd said 
that um, you were, I believe, going to dinner with a neurologist. Is that right? And you were going to show them my videotape of crazy meditation energy thing? Did that happen already? That has not happened, but uh, I we're, we're working out the details of the dinner, but he has seen your video. And uh, he just wrote me an email and basically said that we will discuss over dinner. Huh. Uh, I forwarded him the link uh, to the video on YouTube and uh, asked him to pay you know, particular attention to the EEG. And uh, he said, let's talk about it over dinner. All right. And it's, he's a neurosurgeon. A neurosurgeon. Hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, please keep me updated. I will. I, I'm, I'm dying to get this guy uh, at the table. It better not be a tumor. He'll find out. He'll find out what it is, and then he'll say, "Jeremy, I, I, I can't tell you. I'm sorry." Yeah. <laughs> um. hmm. Well, is there anything that? Um, that we should have asked you or you wanted to be asked or anything that you want to tell us before we call it quits? Like the name of the experiencer that works for NASA? Yeah, for instance. Well, there are tons of them. <laughs> Who uh, was that again, Wes? <laughs> <laughs> you already, uh, told, Wes? Us. You already Wes? told us. Hello? <laughs> yeah, I'm here. So I think that uh, <laughs> we sh- what we should do is... Uh, no, actually, um, there was... Uh, the thing is... is the point I'm trying to, to make with people is is instead of just listening to people spout on about you know what's what we're supposedly doing, find out a little bit about what's really going on in the space program, and the, you know with a little bit of digging, you can really blow holes in, in anybody's theories about what's going on. Just takes a little bit of digging. That's all. You know, uh, Google it. <laughs> What's um, are are you done searching this stuff out, or are you going to continue, or are, are you satiated? No, I'm uh, I'm interested in what's going on over in over the Balkans mm-hmm. um, because there's some really weird stuff going on over there. Um, they have everything from uh, UFOs, they have USOs, um, and they have their uh, their own little version of Ted Phillips's Marley Woods. Uh, in the uh, uh, Bulgaria has three mountain ranges, and uh, sort of ones in the north of the country, ones in the south of the country, and one goes basically straight down the middle. And uh, there's a uh, sort of in the central portion of the country. There's a there's a city called uh, Veliko Turnovo, and uh, it's a it's a mountain town. And uh, uh, right outside of there, uh, they have tons of of really weird stuff happening um and another thing that i'm interested in following up is um in the southern part of the country um there is another area which has a lot uh, just a high rate of of sightings of of uh paranormal phenomena and it's no uh i think i think it it must be uh, it can't be a coincidence that, uh, or it must be a coincidence, excuse me, that in that same area is what's called the Thracian Valley of the Kings. So Bulgaria, most of Bulgaria today is is what in antiquity is known as, as Thrace, the Thracians. Um, and so the Thracian kings uh, all buried their 
the royalty for the most part was buried in this one specific area and uh there are even ancient evidence of strange things happening and you know tombs with uh tombs with disc floating in the sky painted on them and that kind of thing hmm. wow so i'm interested in following that up wow so well, do you, if, if you, you know find anyone that we can interview that would be yeah a... huh. and you can translate for us <laughs> uh i would leave that with my wife okay <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, uh, sure. No, it's um, it, it's really interesting. Uh, in, in a country like Bulgaria, you know, um, Bulgaria has been a, a country for over eight hundred years, a unified country, and so you have this this access to records to history, which makes uh, investigating a little easier than uh, in a younger place such as the United States. Well, thank you, sir, very much for giving us uh, an hour and a half of your time. And I hope well, thank you. I hope I didn't sound... This is the first time I've ever done anything like this, so I hope uh, uh, I didn't come across as an, a bubbling idiot. No, this this easily <laughs> shot up to right. like one of my favorite podcasts of all time, actually. Absolutely. Yeah. This was really yeah. good. And I, I, I have to... The one thing I, I ask you to keep in mind is... Uh, uh, I did just return from Bulgaria, and I'm I'm still getting back into English. So, huh. so <laughs> I, 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 I'm Interesting. I'm what I what I call multilingually illiterate. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, I have this problem of uh, jumping from one language to the other is a little difficult for me. So, I'm well, you've done good. Yep, absolutely. Uh, yeah, thank you, and don't be a stranger on the boards. I hope you uh, stick around, and you've got a lot to offer. And Absolutely. Thank you for taking an interest in us. Yep. Thanks, guys, and it was a real pleasure to speak with you tonight. I appreciate okay. it. Have a good one. Take care. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Jeremy Vaney, and you're listening to Paratopia with Jeff and Jeremy. Vaney. Me. Is that too vain? Go on. Howdy. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm well. A bit stressed, but I'm well. Stressed, eh? Anything you'd like to share with the fans? Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, never let him in. Never let him see the little guy. Uh, Wester. Wester. Yeah. Um, so, no space program, huh? Apparently not. Well, that ends that, then. Yeah. Guess uh, we can... I'll turn a new leaf and look in other directions. Uh, yeah, I would say but, so. But that won't happen. I thought that was pretty pretty <laughs> great of him to come on. You know, we should just say, um, A, uh, we're, we're recording this like a week later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so who even, who even knows if we remember what the hell was said? And B, I just, I just got done doing a 10-hour mushroom trip. <laughs> so I'm really... Well, that's great. I'm, I'm a, little, I'm a little off my game. I think I, I, I think you're presenting this in a very unfruitful manner, and you should be called to task for it. <laughs> That's the Alfred Lemberg in you talking. Oh, okay. Um, Let me go take a dump and get rid of that. <laughs> you know, no amount of dumping gets rid of it. I've, I've tried, believe me. Mm. Um, so? so, yeah, Wester, eh? Yeah, um... <laughs> This is the worst, the worst outro ever.
Well, I mean, I think everything got said in the show that, that needed to be... I mean, I don't really think there's a whole lot we can elaborate on. I mean, aside from the thing he talked about with Golf Breeze, um, more or less coinciding with the uh, top-secret test facility island out there, uh, which I'd certainly like to know a little bit more about, if I can ever manage to get time between work and side work to actually look into it, which I'd like to do. Um, I don't know. Uh, that, that seems really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and, and I, I have heard people say similar things, uh, you know, in regard to top secret testing around Pensacola golf breeze. I haven't heard that the Ed Walters craft essentially had been reported. And again, this is a week later. Did he say it was somewhere off of Alabama or, I, I can't, uh, I, yeah, I think so. I, th- I think that's what it was. Um, you know, I I didn't know that, so that's a, a new wrinkle for me to kind of check out. Maybe we can ask Dr. Maccabee about that the next time he's on. Yeah, yeah I don't see why not. Uh, I, I just find it interesting that here's a guy who is well-spoken and willing to talk and has worked in some official capacity at NASA and, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the channels that he has gone to to – to offer himself up to speak sort of rejected him or just ignored him mm-hmm. completely here in the paranormal world. Why is that, Jeff? Uh, I don't know. Is it a quiz? <laughs> Wrong. The answer is uh, because nobody really wants a real answer to anything. Oh, well, one has to admit the folklore is certainly more interesting than the truth um, in a lot of this stuff, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know that he's, well, I mean, I don't know that he's ever availed himself to anyone else, um, but but our our show. Um, well, no, he did say he did had he? gone. Yeah, he had gone uh, somewhere else. I don't remember where. Maybe it was coast to coast or, or somewhere, oh. and they just didn't ever respond. Well, because the idea. Well, I mean, it goes back to what um, um, you know. I've often said about another case that. <laughs> that really has no merit and the rumor that one of the investigators said, well, it's uh, it's a lot more interesting to put forth a legitimate case than it is to put forth a fake or to unmask a fake. Mm. Um, you get a lot more attention that way. And I think a lot of what uh, Wes had to say was essentially dispelling myth and rumor uh, that have been bantered or run on the net and in the, the UFO study for quite a number of years. There was one thing I wanted to ask him about, which... Uh, you know, I probably will approach him on the board about this. Is that, uh, and my memory's really fuzzy right now because it's super late. But uh, there was someone in some sort of official capacity at one time in their career who made a statement. I believe it was at some conference because I've seen this quoted numerous times. But damned if I can remember right now who it was. I, think uh, I know what you're talking about. This is the one where the the gentleman says, you know, uh, essentially everything that you think about in the way of space travel, like going to other planets and uh, going to Mars and and checking out Jupiter and Saturn and all these kind of things, we've already done it. Right. Um, And as I remember, this wasn't somebody who was maybe kind of employed. This was a... No, it was like the head of Skunk Works or something. Yeah, it was a very high-level guy, and, um, and he apparently made it some kind of admission. Now, whether or not it's been taken out of context or whether the rumor mill has gotten a hold of it and it's been turned six ways from Sunday, I don't know. But I'd be curious to know what Wes thinks about that. Mm -hmm. Um, 
because I that seems to be a pretty straightforward statement that you know we've already done these things so well there would have to be some sort of governing agency that's doing that work it couldn't be the you know the work of a small band of scientists that skunk works skunk, skunk works to do that so right. I, I I'm curious what he says to that well there's definitely you know the the whole problem with this is that you know essentially what he is uh, illustrating is that NASA is not in on any of this. In fact, NASA listens to Coast to Coast for their information. So yeah. how interesting is that? You know, How much can you know if you're listening to Coast to Coast? Yeah. Um, well, then again, who knows how in what capacity that they view Coast to Coast. They could see it all as like the funniest show on radio. Well, that's true. Um, but my point was going to be sort of what you brought up during the interview, and, and I'm sure something someone like Dolan would, would immediately jump to, which is that, of course, NASA's not in on it. That's why it's a secret project and it's probably done by somebody like skunk works or some uh-huh. other faction of of scientists but once again to me it comes back to well science community is a kind of small in this country at least uh they had to have met each other at some point some of these people you know unless you're keeping these people in cages <laughs> well, uh, there had to be some cross-pollination somewhere along the way i don't know you would certainly think I mean, how many really smart scientists are there in the world that you can trust with these things? Um, But the other part, which I think is really important, um, is when he says, you know, for instance, that India has the most launches of any country. Mm -hmm. You know, are all of these countries in on it? Are are all astronauts from all countries seeing UFOs and and they're all in on this, you know, conspiracy of silence? Yeah. I'm not I feeling just don't, that. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't find that feasible, you know, and I also don't find it feasible that, you know, America would be in the lead of all of this if, in fact, India is doing the most launches uh, or Russia is, you know, uh, they, they've been at it since the beginning, too. Right. Um, and now China and now, you know, private corporations want to basically make it a you know trend-setting thing for rich people to vacation on the moon or whatever. Mm-hmm. How much of this stuff can really stand the, the test of time? Yeah. I, I just don't think it's feasible. Yeah, I, I have a hard time swallowing a lot of it as well. So, um, I mean, I think plus the fact that I, I think I'm probably biased towards not believing it just for the simple sake that I don't think any of this has anything to do with extraterrestrial sources, you know, and, and if you're talking about a, an astronaut seeing something, I, I have no doubt that astronauts have seen some strange things. Sure. The question is, again, is it real? <laughs> you know, well, is and it, even if it is real, um, it's not like a concerted, it's not like they're doing handshake deals with these things. Right. right. And why is it always America? Once again, like what would an alien race care about America over other countries? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I just don't. I don't see that happening. Uh, it, it, none of it makes a whole lot of sense to me. Um, I mean, you could you could argue that we're 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 the most powerful country. I mean, we're not really the most powerful country anymore, and no. um, we're certainly the newest. So there are certainly other more ancient, grounded cultures out mm. there that you could say take me to your leader to, and it would make more sense. But right, uh, we love our stories, I guess. Well, a good story sells, they say. So. Um... And that's probably where a lot of this stuff comes from. I mean, um, and, and ufology is replete with that kind of stuff. I mean, it's everywhere. 
So you're not really going to escape anything uh, in any direction that you go. There's always going to be bullshit of some kind of line in one direction or another. Right. Um, I mean, the best thing, you know, I could tell anybody just getting into this is go your own way and do your own thing and don't really pay a whole lot of mind to what's been done before you because um, the whole damn thing is super contaminated <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. I mean, there's a select few people, Jacques Vallée being one, um, I guess to a certain degree, McKenna being another, that I could say these guys have kind of sparked off the what I hope is going to be the new um, direction of some sort. And, um, uh, you know, I, I can only hope that people begin to find that more interesting because infinite to me it is infinitely more interesting than, you know, the commonly held theorems out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so how about those mushrooms? <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much of this we want to get into on this episode. Okay. Other than just say, uh, ten hours. <laughs> um, I, I ultimately do not find it to be uh, the same experience as alien abductions, mm-hmm. or even in the same realm. And if aliens had like magically appeared, um, I feel like I could have just shaken my head or shut my eyes, or and then open them, and they would be gone. Hmm. Uh, because this is all about sort of multiple stimuli and sensory input more than mm-hmm. anything actually being in the room with you or you actually being transported anywhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the sense that I did get, as I told you, was that um, that the mushroom, that it is alive, mm-hmm. you know, and that it becomes a symbiotic relationship with you. And so, you know, when I was thinking of hallucination before this, I was thinking in terms of something that you see, mm. uh, and it's creepy. You know, your walls start to crawl, or you know, things come to life, or you know, that sort of thing. I wasn't expecting to be consumed and become the hallucination, and that's what happens, really. Right. It's not just visual; it's that you become it. Well, that's uh, yeah. That's what I was telling you. We're trying to. I mean, you're you're a lot better speaker in, in the way of putting things into understandable words than I am. But that's essentially what I was saying when you. When you talk about having a, a a visionary experience like that, and you're you're that is where you are, you know, you're you're completely immersed in that, and um, and you forget where you are <laughs> because where you are just isn't where your center of being is. I guess is the word for it. So you don't. Well, so I guess. I mean, I don't know that we disagree on on is it the same um, because a lot of the, would you say that some of the common feelings present during an alien experience are present during this? Well, here's the thing. I mean, you know, you've, you've certainly got me beat with the alien stuff. Like I, you know, I have snippets of memory Mm. and I mean, when they're in the room with you, they're in the room with you. There's no sense of this is, in your head or you're having a psychotic breakdown right. or you're having an enlightenment experience, which all of that happens during this at the same time. Mm. You, you know, you're going insane. Um, you know, I told you I, I had, you know, the experience of sort of these higher echelon buddhic plane experiences of, mm. you know, whatever, whatever. Um, so, you know, you're having this alleged enlightenment experience, which I would call further illusion. I, I would say that that's not real. And so it's not the same as having people in the room with you which is what the alien thing is. Um, and then the alien thing is also 
the fear is completely different to me. Like the fear is that you have a soul and these things can eat it mm. if they want to. And this is like for me anyway was the fear was um, less than that. It was more about oh my god, I'm going, I'm going to be crazy. I'm not going to come out of this. Yeah. I'm not going to be able to talk to my family or my friends anymore. Right. I'm going to be that loony guy on the subway giggling to himself and right. gesticulating at the air. You know, uh-huh. uh, this thing's not going to let me go. That was sort of that mm. fear. Um, and so I don't know, different qualities of thing. It wasn't even like even being consumed by the the vision mm-hmm. um, wasn't the same as the God experience. It, it was, you know, in some ways it was more beautiful and more, you know, just fantastic because it's all of these various scenarios being thrown at you, mm-hmm. you know, every which way you turn your attention and very much got the sense that whatever this being is that sort of connects with you is delighting in the moment. It's it's just taking delight in this moment and really wants you to delight in it too, mm-hmm. but forcefully so. So that, mm-hmm. you know, for me, the theme of the night was, wow, this is awesome. The most trite thing I could think of mm-hmm. was the thing that I would say and then giggle like a little kid. And then and then the, the creature, the, the mushroom or whatever, through me would say, isn't this awesome? And I'd be like, yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> but always in the back is like the little voice going, this isn't right. This this is... And, and, and I even said at one point, this is actually boring because a lot of the imagery was like old hippie tie-dye stuff mm-hmm. and also uh, like mandalas and, and um, you know, like things you've seen from uh, Hindu and Buddhist cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, wow, really? This is – we've seen this since the 60s. This is all boring to me. Mm-hmm. Um, even though it wasn't boring. I mean like being in it, it's not boring. But but I've never been attracted to that type of imagery. Mm-hmm. And so as I'm thinking that, the voice goes, yeah, but it's awesome. And then I immediately am sucked into that. I'm like, you're right. This is awesome. Mm-hmm. And then it's right back into that, you know? So it's like this weird thing of of that and then being thankful and thanking the mushroom and being like, wow, thank you for, for not making this terrible and for making this so awesome. I can't believe I would ever want to leave this, you know, this blissful state. Maybe it's not so bad here. Maybe I can fake being normal and stay here forever. <laughs> that would be great. Mm-hmm. And then immediately, once again, on a dime, turning around and thinking, well, I, I, I can't do that. i got to get out of here. You're, this, is, this is insane. I'm going to be sucked into this. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's, it's that constant play, that constant back and forth happening. And it feels like, like there's a fear that if you don't compliment it, if you don't say, wow, this is awesome, and agree. It'll turn on you. It'll turn on you. But at the same time, you do agree. You know, it's yeah. like it's both at the same time. It's like this paradox. Hmm. Uh, so that was that was sort of my emotional journey with it. And what was interesting was I heard Terrence McKenna a lot during it. You know, oh really? Uh, along with my own sort of voice, or you know, in the background was me as a um, as sort of the narrator, as a writing or preparing to speak to Paratopia about it. And documenting everything that was happening as if it had already happened. I mean, it's really kind of hard to explain, but but that's sort of the sense of it. And then ultimately thinking during this trip, um, you know, that's boring. Like, uh, why why not just let it consume you? Because um, you're not going to be able to explain this. Anything you, what I actually thought was anything you say is going to be a lie because um, because it's so much more than words can can explain. It, it's something that you just have to experience. Um, so what's the point of narrating when so many other people like Terrence McKenna have done so, you know, more eloquently than I'll be able to. But as I told you, what was also funny about this was 
that when I was sort of relating to my biology on a quote unquote normal level, like when I realized I had to go to the bathroom, um, the, the, the thing that I was like, as I got up out of bed and went to the bathroom and all that, I was a giant clown. (laughs) I mean, you know, whatever this creep, I mean, I felt like there were three things going on. There's the consciousness of the mushroom. There's a consciousness of me and there's the consciousness of whatever this meditation energy is Mm -hmm. because I had initially, um, well, I had initiated that before, before I underwent the spell of the mushroom, um, and so that really took me through this. I think. Um, so I felt like all three of those were like mixed together, and it, you know, it was this giant clown, which was me, but it was a clown. And it was a clown with a voice like this, you know. Hmm. It was really um, scary, you know. It was like, wow, is that what I'm, is that what I'm going to be, or is you know, is that what I am? Is it is it you know, bringing out this the natural thing that I am, which is like this cl- clown trapped in a uh, enlightenment experience, trapped in a psychotic delusion. Hmm. Uh, I guess you could argue that, you know, um, but it sure felt like something else. Hmm. But it was funny, you know, and it was it was fun to be that thing, and yet scary at the same time. Right. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I think I think. Uh... I mean, neither of us saw aliens. No, I did see futuristic technology. Uh, I did see what looked like and, and became actually a cricket. And like I'd shut my eyes and they'd go plink, plink. It was really kind of creepy. And right. <laughs> suddenly I'm being buried and, and all this stuff. But the the cricket, crickets or whatever, they seem to have their own technology. They're sort of organic technology. They seemed sort of alien in that sense. But hmm. But no, oh, the other thing, the other difference is, like, as soon as you see the the so-called aliens, or at least when I do, it, it is that immediate dread. And I have the feeling that if I saw them in this context, I would be laughing. Hmm. Um, only because, like, I did at some point, 10 hours, people, get up and try to watch TV. <laughs> and everything, you know, all the people on the TV basically looked demonic. Hmm. And that was fine. You know, it was just kind of interesting to watch. Hmm. So I wasn't scared of it. And I feel like if I'd seen aliens, I wouldn't be scared of them. I'd just be like, oh, there's aliens. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I think, I mean, at least for me, I got the, I felt the same hyper-reality feeling of an experience. Now, that's not including the extreme weirdness that you know, of seeing beings or, or craft, if that's what you want to refer to it as. It didn't have that aspect in it, but the sense of hyper-reality for me was there. Mm-hmm. The feeling of uh, the childlike feeling for me was there. Uh, to a lesser degree, I guess, the geometric um, aspects of my early experiences, not the particular instance of a white spinning square, but definitely solid vector-like images were there. So I still kind of think there's something there, but again... Well, yeah, I saw fractals, you know, which you had seen. Right. Um, And as we were talking earlier, when I tried to relate to you the, the overlay thing that I saw upstairs in bed and completely, you know, without the aid of any psychedelic whatsoever, that I awoke and saw this fractal and this, this being kind of, uh, I don't know, going in fast forward and rewind a bunch of times. And I had a hard time trying to get, 
get you to understand the overlay part of it. Now I think you get that a lot more because you say that you actually had that with the mushroom, that you would be having some sort of visionary thing with your eyes shut. And then when you opened your eyes, it was kind of overlaid. Yeah, there. That's it. That's, that is, so that part for me was there um, mm-hmm. in, in that same type of thing. And, and I agree with you that so much of it is not describable. But I guess I have to admit that there are also, and I, I, I think this is probably the same for you, that there are parts of it that you just wouldn't want to talk about that are not only hard to describe, but hard to describe without sounding like a psychotic moron. Yeah, I guess if you have a problem with that, then sure. But I, I don't have a problem with that because I, I feel like it was very clearly at some point a psychotic break. You know, <laughs> yeah. so there's really no choice but to sound like a psychotic moron. Yeah. yeah. And as long as you come out of it, then <laughs> you get to describe it, you know, if you want. I don't know. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I mean, shit, I, I walked around my house and my, um, you know, my door frames were like, like crooked and everything was crooked. It was like a clown house, mm. you know, except, um, like you said, like things are sort of organic, like cactusy. Yeah. Sort of uh, all around. Yeah. Um, I mean, just. And and my walking was like, you know, like a giant marionette. It was just really, it was just really. I think that's because you're trying to compensate for something, you know, and and the the feeling of disconnect I think plays into that as well. Well, it definitely um, was like all over the place, like whoa. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was fun and funny, you know. And then when I saw myself in the mirror, it was like it looked like a clown mirror. It looked like a warped image, and right. and then this voice, this clown voice, went, "Yep, that looks about right." <laughs> <laughs> Let's go see what's out the window. And I look out the window. Huh? Yep, that's interesting. That's not as interesting as this. Let's lie back down here. Right. And I'm sitting there thinking, why am I saying this stuff out loud? Whose voice is that? Why is this happening? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I told you I did a lot of muttering. You know, just like, what, what was that? You know, what, did you hear that? What was that? I mean, and... Uh, I, I didn't have a I didn't have a clown voice or anything, but I certainly certainly didn't feel like me. Uh, I didn't feel normal, of course, um, but I think that um, I think that again I, I probably hmm, <laughs> I probably shouldn't have gone to sleep. But then again, I was so damn tired I couldn't hardly keep my eyes open. So I figured I was about done anyway. Um, mm-hmm. But ten hours. Uh, from what I understand from, uh, you know, some people I know, that's, that's very long for this. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I find that really, I find that really interesting because they say that the, pretty much like the, the big length is like six hours mm-hmm. and 10 is like, Jesus, you know, that's really long. Well, uh, I really feel like the meditation energy had something to do with that, you know, because I was it was really, say, it seems like there's something else at play in there that. Because it was a lot of like, okay, go deeper. Like every now and then I'd have that moment of, yes, this is all interesting, but let's go deeper. Let's just clear our mind and not, mm-hmm. you know, be empty. Right. And it would be like, it would just keep you going and going. And like, there were times when I wanted to go to sleep and this energy would just open my eyes and move my head around. It would like quickly jerk my head somewhere, hmm. you know, uh, and then I couldn't sleep. And then it was like, now you're into another vision. And now this is a complete bliss state. And I guess, and I came out of it sort of angry, um, and disappointed in a way because I, I do feel like I guess I, I didn't equate this with um, with the UFO stuff, but I did equate it with the spiritual stuff. Like I absolutely thought at the time, 
oh, this is, you know, part of what's going on is I'm being inhabited by some sort of archetypal god, mm-hmm. Buddhist god or something. And, um, and it's experiencing uh, these various uh, sort of living paintings, or I don't even know. I mean, they, they look like universes unto themselves, but they're sort of liquid and, and more fluid, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not real. I mean, you just know they're not real. They're just like symbols and all kinds of crazy shit going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just completely stuff I've read about, or I think I've read about anyway, right. you know, or seen images of, you know, there was certainly a lot of that imagery that, that is like whenever you read like, oh, I visited the Buddhist plane or whatever, mm-hmm. is all this stuff. But so I guess what I'm saying is that I felt like disappointed in that. I felt like very clearly that was all an illusion too. Hmm. Like there's there's nothing to that. In a, um, so if you're trying to get what, into like what, what's what the makes, base of reality, what makes you, you think that there. though? I mean, I don't know that it isn't real. Well, I guess that it isn't real. That really what you're what you're getting is this mushrooms sense of reality. Hmm. You know, so it's not like it's not any more or less real than what you've got. It's just completely different and oddball. Okay. Um, so it's not not real. It's just not. Real in the sense of of um, to you, it's not as real as the as the altered state that seems to be present in a in an alien experience. Doesn't it doesn't seem like the same thing to you? Well, it's definitely not as concrete as an alien experience. Well, yeah, I mean, I yeah, I agree with that. Um, but I just don't know. But I mean, for me to say that those those tubes, uh, those moving tubes that seem to be all over everything which I think you had said you even seen some kind of tentacle type thing during your thing. But to me, those things, I, I mean, I, I, like I said to you earlier, I, I've been thinking about this for uh, ever since. I mean, it's, it's, it's occupied a lot of thought for me. And I, I guess, I guess in my head, trying to, trying to rationalize that I uh, were these all products of some kind of contamination or were they, something else? Uh, was it something I've read? And I guess that's, I mean, you try to educate yourself about what to expect and it turns out to be nothing like what you expected. Right. Um, but how much of what I experienced during that was something that I'd read or something that I'd focused on or something that I'd heard? I, I don't know. But I think the one thing that stands out to me is, and it's some of it, like I, again, some of it, to me, I think you're absolutely right, is the mind. The mind is just under the influence of this whatever it is. And uh, uh, it's, it's, it's it, let's just, let's just, we'll out this one because I don't, I really don't care that much about this one. But uh, I had mentioned to you last night that, you know, when you sit in a dark room, make sure that everything past your little central candle or whatever is dark because any kind of, hint of something in the darkness tends to do things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was my experience uh, in the studio where I'm sitting there on the floor and at the time, it was before we had cleaned everything, moved some stuff out, what, I had you know basic garden tools in the corner and there was a spade shovel sitting there along with a rake and uh, a metal rake and a, and a plastic rake and all that kind of stuff. And, and the, I could see the handles and I could see, uh, the spade, uh, shape of the shovel. And for some reason, uh, I, I became fixated on that 
dark corner with those just um, hints of these shapes. And the spade shovel turned into a horse's head. The handles seemed to look like a stable. It seemed to look like this horse had its head stuck out of the stable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and immediately, you know, recognizing that, wait a minute, if the horse's head is is on the floor, then that means I'm up in the air. And then immediately had this weird, bad feeling of, like, I'm, I shouldn't be up in the air. Like, I'm looking on the ground, like, where am I? What's going on? That kind of thing. I think that's definitely your mind, you know, uh, adding on. The mushroom is adding on to what you're seeing and trying to make some kind of sense or trying to make some kind of image for you to see where a horse came from. I, I don't know, other than the shape of the spade kind of, you know, lent itself to that look. But I think that when you start talking about, you know, these tubes that look like they were making up everything and they seem to react to you looking at them. I mean, and I've thought about this a lot. I just, I can't attribute that to being some product of my mind because that was just so out of the box for me. That was just so not what I expected. It's so not what I expected to see. No, I don't think it's necessarily out of your mind. I think, I think this thing is alive, you know? Yeah, I do. I think there's this thing called the mushroom that that is uh, it really delighting and taking entertainment in in entertaining you. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, but I do know there was a moment when I knocked on my wall and mm-hmm. I realized, oh, the wall is solid in spite of all this stuff that appears to be going on. Mm-hmm. The wall is still the wall, so normal physics apply. And right. I said, well, gee, can I walk through the wall? Why can't I go through this wall? And then I, you know, I said, "Well, why would you want to do that? This is awesome." You know, it's like back to back to the hmm. back to the scene here. You know, it's, so unless you could actually do that, I don't see that that this really does affect reality in a in a realistic way. You know, right. like I, and I and almost you know I almost wonder the people who are like, well, you know, thoughts shape reality, and they take that to such an extreme to really believe that they can morph the physics of the universe by mm-hmm. thinking about it. Uh, didn't do some trips and think that because because prior to their trips maybe they they didn't really have a handle on that reality is broader than than what they've been taught mm-hmm. and uh, I think if you don't know that going into this or if you haven't experienced that going into this the way you and I have in various ways then then you see this and you experience this and you go oh my god this is more real than real right. this is more real than what I've got mm-hmm. and it may not be it may just be another you know other thing, you know, more, I don't know. I don't even know, you know, I don't know how to describe it because I don't want to like downplay it and say, well, this is all hallucination and, and there's nothing to it, but it certainly isn't something I don't think where I could say, a la peanut butter sandwiches and my house would disappear. (laughs) No, no, I don't, I don't certainly don't think that either. I, I don't, I mean, I don't think McKenna's ever said anything like that, but I think that, you know, like you say, it is animate. It is its own thing. Uh, it seemed like entertainment. I didn't <laughs> it seemed get like better than TV. I, I, I didn't get the I didn't get the, the it delighted in delighting, you know. Um, but but there are things that you see that are unexpected. I mean, for sure. But you didn't keep your eyes closed a lot, right? Um, as much as I could. Um, oh, you did. But, but I had that. I had that. Um, <laughs> I had that feeling like because you are so in that place when you snap out of that place, such as my foot falling asleep during one portion that 
kind of jarred me out because I felt some physical sensation that was not connected to where I was in my head or, or in this vision, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it, it kind of shocked me out of it. And the thought popped into my head. I'm glad that happened because I don't know that I would have been able to get out of that. Uh, it, it, there is this feeling like you're truly losing yeah. this reality. Like you are losing it. And it just seems like, and this is something I've thought a lot about lately is like, you know, uh, my old research partner used to say to me all, all the time, he's like, you know, people like to think that they have some kind of toehold on reality when they really don't. And, and I, I, I don't know that I agree with all of that, but, but in the sense of an experience with a mushroom, I think you uh, are a lot more in that space to be able to lose that reality, at least for that short period of time. And I don't know, people have, you know, Sid Barrett, perfect example for me, you know, guy does massive doses of hallucinogens and, and doesn't come back at one point or another. He damages himself from that. I can, I can very well see how that can happen. Yeah. Uh, whereas before I didn't, yeah. I didn't understand like, what, what is that? What do you mean? I mean, you come down off of a drug. Why would it stay there? I mean, it's like, you know, don't make that face at me, young man, or you're, I'll make it stick like that. You know, it's that kind of a thing. And, um, but this I, was like begging me to stay. That was the crazy thing. Yeah. I mean, that, that's really the, the, the whole thing of this is like, why don't you, you know, this is awesome. Why would you want to leave? This is great. It's like, yeah, this is great. And then the meditation energy, like I said, would like smack my my head around or, or whatever, you know, would like get me out of that and your, I'd be into the next thing. It was, you your, know? It was your sitter, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really was. Yeah, I mean, I think that that, that, uh, that I find really interesting. Um, but, you know, like I said, I think there is, I think there are definite similarities in the way I feel during this versus, you know, is it is it real in the sense that it walks up on the floor? Not not from from my experience, it wasn't. Uh, but I was only you know two to three hours in before I got too tired and had to go to bed. Did it last as long as yours? I very much doubt it. And that could be anything from personal tolerance to dosage. But I mean, what I what I did experience with that is earth shattering. Not earth shattering, but very different from the alien experience because you did that that does that didn't happen and I, I mean really at no point that i can remember that it did really enter my mind other than i find it a little weird that i went to go out the studio door and i just a voice i don't know that it was a voice it was you know something some i just got the overwhelming feeling oh no you don't want to go out there just stay in here it's it's good in here don't go out there and i didn't uh, I have to wonder what would have happened if, if I had, if I had ignored that sentiment and just went. But to me, there are similar feelings, similar, there are similar qualities in it to me. Uh, is it an, an abduction experience? No. But there are definitely, to me, similar qualities about it that seem familiar. Now, whether or not, like I said, whether or not that is... I mean, the, the idea of everything buzzing, everything being very sharp and crisp, that's very, mm-hmm. that's very there. Um, the feeling of the childlike feeling about this, very there. You know, and, and the, a couple other things that I mentioned, those are all there. Is it the same as being horribly terrified and this, this thing is right in front of you and other people see it? <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm, I'm reasonably sure had my wife been sitting with me that night, she would not have seen a horse in the corner. Right. 
so there's that. You know, there, I definitely agree with you. The difference in the, the physicality of it is, yeah, it's completely different. But I think the notion that you are perceiving something different or seeing, I don't know that it's seeing the world as it really is, but I think you may be seeing levels of reality that you can't normally perceive. Yeah, I think that's, I think, I think that's a possibility. Uh, I do. But I, I, to me, I, I still think that the, it's worth pursuing uh, listening to other people uh, and trying to draw lines back and forth between, you know, the experiencer syndrome and this. Um, right. I still think that that's, I still think that needs to be looked at at this point. I'm not, um, uh, and I think it's just due to the feelings that I had during that, that kind of prompt me to say, yeah, there seems to be something there. Uh, and one thing that, uh, that a friend of mine told me today is like, um, which I, again, related to you earlier, is that uh, now that we've done this, uh, if we were to do it again, which I don't think either of us plan to do, it would be a completely different experience because at this point we know kind of what to expect. It's not this terrifying unknown that you actually have to do an act to get to. <laughs> now you know sort of what to expect. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it would I be, might do a, it again. You know, and then it might be a completely different scenario than what you experienced this time. I mean, I might do it again if I can convince myself that I will come back because I feel like ten hours, you know, like you said. I mean, it's it's a lot. That's crazy. I mean, and I so I, I, you know, do I tempt the fates and go twice just to see, you know, how uh, how much more of me I can bring to the table and or how much more focus I can bring to it? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, I mean, McKenna talked about that with the uh, DMT experiences that. You know, uh, he had been there so many times that he became familiar with the surroundings and and, and kind of got a little bit more out of the experience from that. Um, I mean, myself, I don't I don't really have any I don't have any desire really to do it again. I, my curiosity is there to do it again, but I just don't. I to me, I just didn't. Uh, I, I I I I mean, I got stuff out of it, I, and some of which I related to you. But you know, some of it's just so explicably weird that I'm like, well, what what does that mean? What I'm trying to over and over in my head, I keep playing this over, saying, okay, what what the, would that mean? What why would see, I, I see get, that? You know? I didn't get that at all. That's what's funny is I just said, fuck it, I'm just going to look at all this stuff. because yeah. yeah. I, I was like, you know what, it can't mean anything to me. There's no way that I'm going to decipher all this stuff. I can't even draw it, you know. And basically, half right. this stuff looks like, looks like an Al, uh, you know Alex Gray painting. So, right, uh, you know, figure that out, and you'll figure out what we saw. <laughs> I mean, I'm just from my, you know, about a week out. It's, you know, more than that, but you know, it's it's a it's occupied a lot of thought before bedtime, and a lot of thought at work, and I just I can't make any sense of it. I can't think where this came from or that came from or what it may mean. Is it symbolic? Is it not? And I think I'm pretty much ready to say, you know, I got what I came for in the sense of seeing, is it the same feelings? Is it uh, some of the same perceptual uh, effects? Yeah, it is. But that's as far as I'm willing to go with it right now. And, um, you know, so there you have it. (laughs) Yeah, I guess we ended up talking about it, didn't we? <laughs> well, we yeah, I, yeah, I will be interested to see if this affects the meditation at all because, like I said, I, I associate a lot of that stuff, that more blissful stuff with, you know, activating chakras and higher rungs on whatever ladder that is. Yeah. <laughs> yada, yada, however that's I mean, works. really, 
at this point, I'm just thinking out loud. Maybe at this point, and as far as the show goes, we kind of uh, shift gears a bit and try looking at some other um, avenues. I mean, we 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 came this far to do this. Maybe it's time to kind of settle back and do some uh, just some 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 quiet diligence of looking through other people's accounts of this stuff and seeing what um, what kind of parallels there are and, and whatnot. Maybe talk about this. Uh, I don't know. Three months away from now. And yeah. uh, and see where we're at with it. I mean, certainly. Well, we do the roundtable, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly the message board can keep going with this line of thought as much. And I, like I said, I do think it's worth pursuing. But I, I don't think uh, I think Jeremy and I both can say that it, it wasn't what we expected. Um, not that it was less. It was. Uh, it, I would say it was. It was more for Jeremy. <laughs> I think it was a little more than he expected as far as time went. Little well, a lot less for me. Um, but um, I think it's just time to kind of turn the page a little bit and see where we go from here and and how this develops on down the line, three months down the line. Maybe we revisit this in some way and and uh, talk more about it. Yes, I don't want to become the mushroom DMT show. <laughs> no, you know because there's there's a lot more to it than just that too. I mean, we got other places to go with this, but um, acid. Oh wait, no. Oh yeah, <laughs> DMT. Yeah, we wow. should definitely, you know, go get into I think quantum physics and yeah, that's kind of that a, you know because that that there could uh, tie in. I mean, uh, how do we tie in this experience and what it may have or may not have shown us versus um, you know talking McKenna esque stuff to a quantum physicist about all this kind of stuff? How does that? How does he feel about that? How does he feel about the experiences that are reported in all of this? And how does he feel that that meshes together? you got to try to build some kind of web in here and see if there's anything that holds. I mean, end of the story for me is is that there's there's a lot you just can't describe about it. And if you were to, it just is nonsense. It's just it's just crazy. The feelings, I agree, are are the same. But the the visionary parts of it, I just it's just bizarre. Yeah, <laughs> just bizarre. And I will try to draw some of this stuff when I get time. I'm in the middle of a paint job right now so uh, for a client. So when I get some spare time, I'm definitely going to draw some of this stuff to see if it rings any bells with anybody out there, maybe Brandon or somebody else, um, just to see what they think. I'm very curious about that. I'm curious about just the aspect of how people see and feel the same things from this and why there's that connective um, thing you know wh- why would somebody else in that in a hallucinogenic state see the same thing is it is it is it a product of chemicals is it a product of what i mean i think that's fascinating in and of itself mm-hmm. but um anyway we'll we'll revisit this we will very nice and, um so anyway have a great night jeremy until then sleep well america indeed <laughs> jeff good night good night A junkie says what?